Hi, I'm Nicole Haney. I'm a business coach who helps goal-driven business owners build the life and business of their dreams. In this podcast, I share tactical advice on building your business, mindset tips, and inspiring interviews to help you build your business and change your life. This is the Goals and Gratitude Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Goals and Gratitude Podcast. So today's podcast might sound a little bit different than what you guys are used to because I don't have my podcast microphone. I 100% forgot it at home and I'm in the office today. uh, And so it is what it is. We're still going to record a podcast because we need to be recording podcasts. Um, And also there's unfortunately some construction going on outside of the window that's right in front of me. So you might also hear some banging and some beeping and some noise. Um, But honestly, all of that being said, I feel like this is entrepreneurship. This is entrepreneurship. Things are not always going to go 100% according to plan or how you want it to go. And literally, the name of the game is problem solving. It's just figuring stuff out on the fly and figuring out how you're going to do this. It might not be perfect, but you're still going to get it done. Uh, And so today we are still getting it done. Um, So I will be interviewing um, Steph from Original Jeans today. She is amazing and you guys are going to absolutely love her. Uh, But before I bring on Steph, I wanted to announce something super cool that I am so pumped about. So I am announcing the name of the keynote speaker for the conference. Uh, It is Jake Carls from Midday Squares. Now, if you guys do not know Midday Squares yet, you have to get on it because first of all, amazing product. So it is a functional chocolate bar. It is so delicious clean ingredients, like just so great for like a grab and go product if you are on the run. They are out of Quebec, um, but they sell across Canada. So amazing products, but also just like super incredible people. Um, And Jake is one of the founders of Midday Squares. Um, He is so high energy. He is so bold. He is so the person that you want at your conference because he's going to come in as the keynote speaker, the first speaker, and he's going to pump all of us up so hard. It's going to be at the very beginning of the day. We're going to be sipping some coffee and Jake is going to come in and pump us up and get us moving and get us dancing. And so he is absolutely the person that you want to have at the beginning of a conference. Um, But also he's going to share with us the story of midday squares and how they built a functional chocolate bar company literally from the ground up from zero to 17 million in revenue he is going to tell us how they did it and how you guys can absolutely do the same thing so i'm so pumped about having him as the keynote for this conference um, if you haven't yet signed up for the conference, the tickets are still on presale right now. They won't be for much longer. I am almost completely sold out of presale tickets. And so if you are looking to get a ticket at a discounted rate, 
get it now because it's not going to last for very much longer, I don't think. Um, and so the link, I will link it in the show notes, um, but it's just NicoleHaney.com slash conference. I am so excited to see all of you there. And now let's start talking with Steph. Thank you, Steph, so much for being with us today. Uh, for those who don't know you, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what Original Genes is? Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited, Nicole. Um, original Genes is a little brand that I started back in 2016. I started painting denim jackets as a way to kind of bring some creativity in my life when I wasn't so keen on my nine to five. It started off painting jackets as a hobby, um, just taking pictures of my friends on the weekend. And I continued to do it because I was just passionate about it and it was lots of fun. Throughout the pandemic, when I lost my job, I started putting a lot more focus on the business and saw a lot of support during that time when a lot of people were supporting small businesses. And now I've turned Original Jeans into a full events and clothing business. So really custom eventing, teaching other people how to paint, teaching other people how to take a break from their work, from their screens and learn a new hobby. So yeah, it's all around a clothing and events company now. Amazing. I love, I love the direction that you've taken the company in. Um, so, but painting jean jackets, that is really unique and very different. Something I've never seen before. So how did you get started doing that? It's funny you say you've never seen it before, I guess, because it's my world. I see it all the time. And I think it's like definitely like increase in popularity. Um, but when I first started, it was something that I just did on my own. I, like, like I mentioned, I was kind of bored with my nine to five. So I would go home and paint canvases. And then one day I must have seen a pin on Pinterest where someone painted a denim jacket. And so I rushed to go get my denim jacket and I painted on it. And I sent a few Snapchats to my friends and they were like, oh my God, I love it. And another friend said, oh, I want one. And I was like, oh, that's weird. You want something that I painted? Sure. And then my mom saw it as an opportunity to, for me to start selling them. And she said, this is going to be your business. And she went out and bought me I think about 25 jackets, like the next day, like super crazy. And she's like, here, paint them all. I signed you up for a market. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so I painted them and I went to market and people were buying them and I was shocked. And that's kind of how it was born. Wow. Okay. That's, that's really cool. And so you started as a hobby. Did you have at that point, did you have any background in art? Like, had you gone to school for art? No, I didn't go to school for art. I went to school for business. Um, and so I went into the corporate world at a school, but I always loved art. Like in high school, it was all my classes were art, except for the few requirements that I needed to get into business school. Um, so it was always a passion of mine. And I think that's what just led me to keep doing it was because I just genuinely liked it. Those are the best businesses, the ones that are started from a passion that you actually have, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess um, I'm curious about the early days when you first got started with this. So what did the early days of the business look like? And how did you actually decide to take it from a hobby and transition it into a business? So great question. So my early days were just me painting jackets for small markets. I would do them on my spare time on the weekends when I wasn't working. Um, so it really just looked like, you know, having a couple jackets at home with me and posting them on Instagram back when Instagram was like straight photos and it was, everything was great with it. All I did was pick, post a picture and get a few followers. And I would start getting a couple customer requests from like friends or friends of friends. Um, so that's what the early days looked like was just 
doing a bit of markets and having fun doing it. When the pandemic hit is when I started just putting more focus into that social media because I had free time and because there was nothing else going on, like job wise, a lot of people weren't looking for jobs. A lot of people, there was just nothing to do and no one knew what to do. So I just kept painting jackets and posting about it and people were supporting local a lot then. So I really saw a bump um, in jacket sales and I was like, oh, wow, this is fun. What led me to pivot it to the event business was again, while we were all inside, you know, I had roommates at the time and we wanted to do things. We were so bored. So I was like, let's do, let's all paint. I'll teach you guys how to paint. And then my gym at the time that I was going to was a CrossFit gym. So everyone was really community focused and everyone missed each other. So I said, do you want me to drop off some paint kits to everyone and we'll paint, we'll do a little painting session online. So it really started with that. I went with my mask and I would drop off a little paint kit at people's doors. Um, and then we would all jump on zoom and, and do a paint class together. Again, I wasn't even teaching people how to paint something specifically. It was more like creative hours and we would just hop on the call and just enjoy each other's company. That's how it first started because I didn't know how to teach painting. And then that first holiday season. So I just kept posting about it. Job didn't come back. Nothing really came back. The pandemic was lasting a lot longer than we thought. I kept posting about these parties that I was hosting. Friends of friends would start hiring me. And then the 2020 holiday season when corporate people did not know what to do. There was a huge spike in searches for virtual events. And I got quite a few hits from companies, which was new for me. And so I started sending out these paint kits to people's doors to other companies um, and teaching their cl teaching classes to them online. And that first holiday is what made me realize, okay, there's actually a business here. Um, you know, looking back, it wasn't that big, but I thought at the time it was massive. It's a fact I think I got one 200 person paint class from like a huge corporation. And I was like, oh, I can't believe they're using me to, to teach this class. And so once my old job had got offered back to me, I said, you know what? I think I want to focus on this full time. Wow. Okay. That's a huge leap. That, that takes a lot of courage. Like the way you say it, it's kind of like, okay, this grew. And, you know, I knew that it was the right time for me to take that leap, but like, how did you actually get the courage to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not coming back. It was huge. And I think if I had, if the pandemic wasn't a factor and I had, um, you know, a full-time job and I don't think I ever would have quit to pursue this full-time. Um, but I think the, the pandemic just shifted a lot of perspective in a lot of people. And it made me realize what I really enjoyed and how we have this opportunity to kind of restart and do something new and find something, you know, new to do. Um, so it was a little bit courageous, but I just, it, I've never felt more right about something at that time. I went a lot, I went back and forth about, you know, what's my backup plan if this doesn't work and what's that going to look like. And then I guess just, yeah, I guess just being in the pandemic, I was like, you know what, there's what, who cares? Just try everything would be taken away tomorrow anyways. So you might as well just, just do something that you like. And it just really shifted my perspective and allowed me to, to push forward. Yeah. I feel like that's so true. You really have to live your life, right? Because at the end of the day, we only get so much time here on earth. Yeah. And it's like, you might as well be doing something that you love, even if it is harder, because it is harder to start a business than to go to a nine to five in some ways. In other ways, going to yeah. it, it can be a bit harder and more stressful in other ways. Um, but regardless, like you have to do what you love, right? Yeah. 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 So that it was really being locked inside for, for 12 months that made me realize that. Yeah, absolutely. 
So then um, how do you, because this very much started as kind of a creative outlet for you, right? And I find a lot of artistic entrepreneurs or creative entrepreneurs struggle with that balancing act of saying, you know, I started this because it was a creative outlet. It's something I love doing, but then also balancing that with the business side of things and kind of the realities of running a business and needing to make income. Yes. So there is a point where when you start making revenue and it becoming your income that it, it no longer feels like an art passion project. A hundred percent. You nailed that. Um, I would say probably 80% of what I do now is just admin work, talking with clients, you know, sales pitching, that sort of thing. So I still need the creative outlet of art. Um, and then when I do have to paint, it's usually for someone's order. So I really do try to honor myself when I have an idea that I really want to paint on a jacket or I really want to do something new creative, like this huge canvas behind me was something that I did just for me. And I have to be okay with, with delaying a few orders or just, really giving people longer timelines of when their orders will be done because sometimes you just don't feel creative because so much of that business admin is is taking a toll on you and you need a I need a car I personally need to carve some room for my own personal art in order to get that inspiration back um so it really is just a matter of you know when the inspiration strikes and I want to paint something for myself I just have to do it and everything else will get done afterwards because that it's really important to keep moving forward in the business otherwise you'll just get burnt out by painting other people's orders and commissions and all that stuff for sure absolutely like no matter what type of business you have you always have to have some sort of um hobby or something that you just enjoy doing that you can include in your life as well right because it can't as much as we all work such long hours and we're trying to push everything forward, it can't just be all work all the time, right? Because you need something for your mental health. Even if it's like going and walking outside, like I have gotten really into literally just going and like on hikes or walking in nature and just being outside um, makes a big difference to my mental health, getting away from, because the majority of my work is in front of the screen, right? So yeah. just getting away from the screen, I find really helps me, but you have to have that. For sure. And I mean, yeah, carving out that time to paint my own projects is huge for me or just trying something new. It just brings that creativity back. But same thing. I love working out and it's a huge part of my day and I need to prioritize it in order to just feel better and keep moving. Otherwise, I would just not be able to to work. I just I would be so burnt out. For sure. Absolutely. So then these are, when you paint a jacket, these are literally pieces of art. Yes. <laughs> they are gorgeous. Um, if you guys have not seen her artwork yet, please go and check it out immediately. It's fantastic. Um, so how do you decide how to price a piece of artwork? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think you've even helped me on this one before. Um, you have to think about what, materials you need to use. So the jacket itself has a cost to it, of course. Um, so you're factoring that cost right away. And then the way I price it is not so much on the paint per jacket because the paint lasts a really long time across a lot of jackets. So it really comes down to how long I think it will take me to paint that item. Also, not even how long it takes, but how many steps are there going to be? Is there, you know, five different words that have to be perfectly stenciled because that's going to take a lot longer than just freestyling some some flowers so considering what the actual piece is and how many pre-steps are going to be like will I need to go you know buy some special paint for this one does someone want glitter that I don't have are there new materials I need to bring in um and then just 
setting it as something fair that kind of pays me a good amount per hour. It's never that high when I'm painting jackets. It's not like I'm making 200 an hour. Otherwise the jackets would be priced at like 600 and up. Um, but you know, what is fair for this piece of artwork requested and how long realistically will it take me? So it's a, it's a fine balance of, of comparing those two and then coming up with a price. For sure. I think this is something that most entrepreneurs struggle with is how to price their product or service and how to have it be fair, but also competitive and also something that's going to help you like earn a living. Right. Cause sure. at the end of the day, as much as we all get into business because we have a passion and we want to share that passion with the world, we also have to put food on our table. Literally. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so um, that's one of the questions that I have for you as well is like, how did you figure out with the business as a whole, including like the jackets, the events, everything, like, how did you figure out, here's how I'm actually going to make a living off of this? I, once I started doing the um, event business, the event side of the business, there's a lot more revenue to be had in bigger events um, when you're teaching multiple people at once. So as soon as I started seeing that, I realized that's where my focus needs to be and be able to push it. Because you have to think about how much can you actually paint? What is your capacity with someone with two hands? Like what, how many jackets would you need to paint? And then I did the, the math backwards from that. And I said, okay, the jackets, I don't think will ever give me the amount of money I need to, like, unless I was painting jackets nonstop every single day, five jackets a day, you know what I mean? Unless I'm doing something like that, it will never bring me to a point of income that I'm happy with. So really looking at all of your income streams and figuring out which ones are going to be the most important, which ones are going to be the biggest part of your income, pushing a lot of your focus in that, and then keeping a bit of room for the stuff that's smaller, but still fun and still makes people attracted to your business. And that's where I kind of had my mindset. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, so I have had both a product business and a service yeah. business. And so I've seen kind of both sides of this coin and with products, you are absolutely right. It does not matter what the product is. At the end of the day, you have a cost of goods associated with that product. You have labor costs associated with that product. And so the name of the game in product businesses is scale. It is scaling your business so that you can get a lot of volume. And once you get the volume, that's when you start to turn a profit, right? But in the service side of businesses or events, things like that, it's really cool because you can turn a profit pretty quickly because yeah. there's not a whole lot of overhead costs to it. There's not um, a cost of goods associated with it. it really is just you are putting in your time. And of course you have to buy, I guess there is some cost of goods. for there is some cost of goods, um, but it's priced out per event. So it's a lot easier to, um, to price it that way because it it's very obvious what your cost of goods is for each person. Like if you're going to buy new materials for every single event, there's a, there's a really easy cost that you can associate with that. Whereas when you're doing, I, I, you were selling products that were smaller. So I'm sure you weren't like factoring that it took like a dollar to make each product or whatever it was, but it's more of that volume over time. So when you are working in an event, you can really break it down per the event based on the number of people. So it's a lot easier to price it for something like that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I feel like it would be mu a much simpler kind of cost of goods. Yeah, yeah a little more for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so now at some point in your business, as you were going through this and you're doing the jackets, um, you started to add on some other products too, right? So you're doing yeah. the shoes. 
yeah, so I started painting shoes. Um, that was something again, because I had time during the pandemic that I was able to test it out. Uh, so I do paint shoes as well. I also speaking of sort of having product that does turn, I did launch some paint by numbers that I designed and got made, um, based on my own travel photos from pre pandemic. So I wanted to think about products that weren't as manual and can start selling while I'm at an event. Like, you know, people are buying online from me. So really trying to think of how I can start selling materials that people can just use on their own to paint with. Um, yeah. So that's where I kind of pivoted that way. Awesome. I love that you are, you kind of keep pivoting from this um, space where you are doing all of the work yeah. into kind of showing other people how they can do it too. Yeah. I love that because there is like that mental health component to creating artwork that you were talking about even for yourself. Exactly. And so now it must feel really great to be able to like share that piece with other people. It does. And I, I always go back to why I started painting jackets. It was because I needed a break and I, 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 and I loved it. And I wasn't, if you look at my first jackets, I wasn't even that good, quote unquote, like, you know, but I, I kept doing it because I liked it. And that's something huge that I, that I say in my workshops to people is this isn't really about the final result. If this is your first time painting in 15 years, a lot of the time, you know what I mean? It's not going to be a masterpiece because you need to practice, but what it is going to be is an amazing hour for you to relax and you'll be so shocked at how good it feels to not stare at your screen or your emails for an hour um so i always really try to focus on that because that is kind of how i started the business and why i am so passionate about the fact that people can do hobbies without turning it into this like multi-million dollar side hustle like it's just strictly about taking a break and relaxing and like that mental health piece for sure it's so important for everybody especially yeah. now right so then you, at some point, you brought on another artist to help mm -hmm. you as you started growing the business and you, you weren't able to do everything yourself. Cause as you said, you're one person with two hands, right? So you're not able to do everything. Mm -hmm. Did you have some challenges with giving up some of that creative license and letting somebody else kind of take the reins on some of those pieces? Yes, 100%. It is tough because when, when, an, when an individual launches a brand, a lot of the time you're, you are, you become the face of the brand. So a lot of the times, even though I had multiple artists to work with me, people wanted me, they wanted my personal art and art is so variable between artist to artist. So it was great to have help with some of the orders, but really the orders that I would give the other artists was stuff in her sort of realm. So I kind of realized I was trying to think of how I could get extra help. That was one thing. Um, and now I do have other artists that work with me to take on classes. So it's less on orders, but really freeing up some of my time teaching classes, because that's a little bit more, not as, you know, specific to one person. Um, the way people teach classes are different and they're all great. So now I have multiple artists to teach classes when I'm double booked or when I need a break. Um, and that's the way I've been able to, to hire out some of the work. Okay. So how does it feel to then be an employer now, right? Because you've taken on now like multiple, you went from artist to running live events to now being an employer and a business person. So how does that feel? And what are some of the, the challenges you face? It feels definitely rewarding to see that I got to a place where I do need that help. Everyone would always tell me that eventually I'm going to need help. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. But no, it does get to a point where you need help. So it feels great in terms of like an accomplishment. Um, 
In terms of challenges, the artists I work with are awesome. I wouldn't even say there's too much challenges there. The hardest part would just be getting everyone up and running and making sure that, you know, everyone's saying what you want them to say on virtual calls or at events for you. Um, but other than that, there hasn't been too much of a challenge there as after you found the right, the right artist to bring on. The right, yeah, the right fit is so yeah. important. It's yeah. so important because if you if you don't have the right fit, then you have somebody who's not necessarily representing your brand the way you want yeah. it represented. Yeah. So if you can find people that are out there with the same vibe as you, the same kind of mindset as you, and they can literally be an extension of you for your business, that's gold, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. perfection. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So let's talk about the live paint events. Um, so you've done some live paint events in stores and some corporate head offices, um, and you have partnered with some pretty big names. And every time I see it on Instagram, I get so excited because these are such cool events. Um, so just this month, you hosted an event with Pinterest um, head office where they were painting clay pots. You did a live painting event with um, Holt Renfrew as well, where you were doing custom painting in store. Yes. So tell us a bit about that. So on the uh, I can start with Pinterest. Um, a lot of what I do now, like I had mentioned, I did a lot of virtual corporate events during the pandemic. But now that we're back in person it's so nice to see that people are hosting live events in full swing now. So what people are opting, everyone's being more creative in the services that they offer for their event guests, which I think is awesome. I think the pandemic also really shifted that. Um, it's no longer just about, you know, going around drinking a whole bunch and, and eating and leaving. It's getting people engaged and giving them another activity to really make it one, you know, Instagrammable for lack of a better word, but you know, how do we make these events where people actually want to share something that they did? And so I've noticed a huge increase in the trend of having different workshops at events so that's where the Pinterest one came in it was so awesome um they had a whole bunch of top creators come in to show them about how to use Pinterest they showed them about what the trends are for the month and then because it was Earth Month they got me to host a workshop um after their whole after like the mingling and the, and the presentation and then we went into that creative piece of painting terracotta pots what I loved about that one was because it was Pinterest, there was a lot of focus on how do you take inspiration from Pinterest versus just finding pictures and copying them. So a lot of the focus on our presentation on my side was helping people build a mood board and then transferring that to a pot. So that was a really fun one. Um, that was actually an example of how I had to send a second artist in my place because I had another event. So the artist that I did had represented me so well. Um, and it was really, it was really great. And I'll be back there, I think next month, which is great. Um, that is an example of an, of a workshop space for, you know, different companies in terms of the live painting at stores. Um, Holt Renfrew is a great example. They do hire me to go in and paint for their customers. So what customers will do is with a purchase, it's almost like a gift with purchase. So they can buy something and then bring it over to me to get painted. Sometimes it's shoes, sometimes it's denim. Um, Sometimes it's just doing like small illustrations. The past one that I did was a small Easter egg painting workshop for kids in the Holt Renfrew store. So again, another example of how retailers are really getting creative on how to keep their customers engaged, not just shopping, how to give them activities that they can bring their families to the stores. So during that Easter weekend, I sat with, you know, kids of parents who wanted to come over or while they were shopping to teach them how to paint little Easter eggs and they got to take it home with them. So it, it, it's just about bringing 
exciting and new activations to stores? Um, so these are some pretty big names that you're working with, which is fantastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm positive that everyone listening right now is thinking, okay, how did you get these partnerships? Because they are such big names and they are um, partnerships that a lot of people would want to get. And yeah. so what did that process look like for you? So I hate being this person that's like, they reached out to me, but they really did reach out to me. But that's not because, you know, I'm so amazing. And it just, they just did it. It's because I did put in the work to make my page a landing page that people could come to. So a lot of the brands that I have worked with are found me through my website or through my socials because I've put so much work into that piece and really not just posting pictures, but really explaining the services that I offer really showing everything that I do. I even feel like I don't even post enough, but really showing everything that I do, um, getting past the mindset of no one cares because you really don't know who's looking at your page. I have a TikTok account and I think no one sees it. I get no views. And then every now and then I'll get orders or, you know, event inquiries because of the few videos I got a couple hundred views. So just being consistent with posting and having a really great website that people can land to um, is, is key in getting these partnerships because you don't want them to, if you're just an Instagram page or, you know, they're just finding you on TikTok, but you don't really have a call to action on how to reach out to you, then you won't get those partnerships. So I really put a big focus on, that back end so that people can reach out to me. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. It sounds like you are taking this idea of showing up as the person that you want to be showing up as the business that you want to become. And I think so many entrepreneurs struggle with this piece because you're absolutely right. When you are starting out and you feel like nobody's looking, I'm not getting any engagement, I'm not getting any followers. It can be really demoralizing for people. And a lot of people, I see it over and over and over again, just stop posting. Exactly. But the problem with doing that is that then people think that your business is closed, right? Because like if you don't have an Instagram presence or some sort of social media presence, people honestly think you don't exist anymore. Yeah. And so you have to keep showing up. And if you're going to keep showing up anyways, you might as well show up as that person that you want to become. Because that lends so much more credibility to your business, right? For sure. And trust me, I struggle with it too. I still struggle with it. A bit of an imposter syndrome that no one's looking and no one cares. Um, but it really is just about pushing forward and, and showing up exactly how you want it to be. Like I was posting as if I already had, you know, 10,000 followers, like when I was at a thousand followers. And, you know, when you have that confidence, it really comes across on your Instagram and people think you are bigger. The amount of inquiries I get was like, hi, reaching out to your team or, you know, um, looking for the person for this. I'm like, it's me. It's, it's only me. It's but me. The way that you portray yourself online makes a huge difference and gives you so much credibility. Um, instead of, I, you know, I really do try not to use that word like small business or, you know, lo like not local businesses, it is local business, but really staying away from those kind of smaller words. Cause it's going to, keep you in that smaller category thinking big and acting like a corporation is what gonna is what's gonna legitimize you um and make people think that you are bigger than you are and want to reach out to you so that's my advice for that one i think too for people that are out there right now thinking like that's awesome i'm gonna show up as that person and hopefully people reach out to me and hopefully i get the partnerships i want if those people aren't reaching out to you you can reach out to them 100%. For sure. Then there has been companies that I've reached out to myself. So 
I don't want to say that every partnership I got was just people reaching out to me. Um, there is times where I did that research and I, you know, you need to make sure that the people you are reaching out to, you put the time in it, time in to find the person you want to speak to. That's what I would say. Um, instead of just, you know, cold emailing, like the info at emails, like finding the person, connecting with them in LinkedIn and building a bit more of a relationship. If you do want to go that sort of pitching route is what's going to get you farther. Um, there's been a couple of companies that I partnered with, um, and one of my biggest event partners who I do a lot of virtual events with them throughout the States is a company that I reached out to because I put the work in to find out the right person and, you know, showed up and, and acted like I, you know, I'm again, bigger than I am. And I really wanted that partnership. It's almost like you're doing mini interviews with these people who are going to hire you or going to use your business. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've reached out to people with Boho and now with my new company where I felt like, okay, I have no business reaching out to this person. Yeah. And like, it's very intimidating, but you do, you reach out and maybe at first they don't see you as being the powerhouse that you actually are. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, presenting yourself in that light and continuously building that relationship, as you said, um, is so very important in terms of convincing them that you are worth working with, right? For sure. Even from a social media perspective, doesn't you have to be as big as these like huge formal emails? Like, I think a lot of people often forget that social media is meant to be social. It's meant to be connecting with people. And so when you get a new follower, you can just reach out to them and say, hi, they might not buy from you. They might not use your service right away, but opening that inbox DM uh, with them or just letting them know, Hey, this is how you order from me. Like, thanks for following along. You might not hear from them for another six months. And then one day they'll just be like, Hey, I'm ready to order. I'm ready to work with you now. And you're like, I didn't even realize that that message had much, had such a big impact, but it does. So you know, small little things that are almost like sales outreach, but they're not salesy at all. Again, it's that connection that will take you farther and, and get you hired or get people to buy from you. For sure. And I think just adding on to that too, like making sure that it's not a form response or a form email yes. or yeah. because people can tell, right? Like we can all tell when we read it and the person on the other end of the DM can tell that it's a form response. For and sure. if it is, they're kind of just going to ignore it. Yeah. But if you can infuse some level of like personality into it, uh, some sort of personal touch, it's going to make that person feel like, oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Steph reached out to me personally yeah. and was telling me a little bit about the business and how things work and how I can buy from her. That makes people feel seen. And that's what people want now. Right. They want that social piece. They want to feel a connection to you. Yeah. No, 100 percent. Um, okay, so I want to ask you some kind of mindset questions and some questions just about like entrepreneurship in general. So throughout the course of building your business, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced as an entrepreneur? Um, I will say I will go on that mindset route because I think that is the biggest one um, is really keeping yourself positive and keep pushing forward. That's a huge one. It was the biggest struggle for me for the longest time and still is occasionally a big struggle for me, but, um, battling yourself when you're, when your brain is telling you, like, what do you think you're doing? Like, this is going to work. You know, those, those really intrusive thoughts and pushing past them. That's a big, big challenge that I had, especially the first year. 
especially when everything was so uncertain and Pinterest was not in my inbox and you know what I mean? And how do you keep going when, when you feel like nothing's happening? That is the biggest challenge. I think that a lot of people face when people ask me, you know, for advice about starting a business, I always say it's not so much the, the actual doing the business it's pushing past those thoughts and, you know, pushing past the thoughts around your financials as well. Like, you know, you're not going to be making money the first little bit. So how are you going to stay positive when no income is coming in um, and being okay with that uncertainty? That's what I always say to people is you have to be okay with not knowing how much you're going to make for the first little while. And what's your backup plan to give you that income? Um, so I did a lot of mindset work that first year. Um, and I, now that I'm going to, I'm going to give you a solution. But what I did for that was I joined a lot of entrepreneur groups. You know, a lot of the time your friends and family aren't entrepreneurs. They have no idea what these struggles you're going through are. So surrounding yourself with people that are going through the same thing is a, was a huge help for me. Like joining different groups of other entrepreneurs was massive um, in terms of, of doing that. And then also another challenge that I face is realizing that you're spending way more money than you thought on either mistakes or things you thought you needed. Um, I think the first year that's pretty common for people is, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I don't know, but you know, you think you need, I don't know, you think you need this like $300 printer when in reality you didn't, you don't even use it. So you're kind of going through those hiccups of where your money is best well spent. And you don't really know until you, until you do it. Um, so I think there's a lot of like things I could have saved more money on and made more money on, but you just, you kind of eat it because it is what it is. And you were learning, um, especially with product-based businesses, shipping costs are, are huge. And especially something, someone like me, when I'm sending things that are supposed to be there for a certain date, like for an event, if something gets lost in the mail, that's on you. You have to send another one. You're, you're eating that cost. It's not on the customer. If something lost in the mail. So a lot of those hiccups of how to iron out anything that would go wrong to save you money in the long run. But at the beginning, you're going to spend a lot more money than you think. Yeah, absolutely. That's, it's so true. Like we all make expensive mistakes in our businesses. I can't tell you the number of expensive mistakes that I made with Boa. You feel better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, everybody goes through this, right? Cause you don't know what you don't know. And yeah. as you start getting into it and you're like, oh yeah, no, actually I didn't, I didn't need to buy that. Or you buy something and it's totally the wrong thing and you need something completely different and the thing you purchase can't be returned. Um, you know, commercial packaging is something a lot of my clients struggle with because they'll get commercial packaging printed and they'll very quickly realize that the 10,000 units that they now have are all wrong. Yeah, yeah for sure. So it's a huge challenge that people face. So did you ever encounter um, imposter syndrome and how did you overcome that? So like I was saying, when I first started, that was a really big one for me was feeling that I'm never going to get to a place where this is actually making money or, you know, people, a, a big one is, is other people's perceptions of me as well. Um, you know, what are people that I used to work with going to think that I'm trying to start this business? And now that I've pushed past that, I'm like, why did I think like that? If anything, people are looking at you like, wow, how courageous I could never do that. I can never give up my income. So the thoughts that you think other people are having on you are most of the time, not even true. And 
yeah, it takes a lot of just surrounding yourself with like-minded people, um, getting people's honest feedback. Like if people are saying to you, I don't know, I don't think this is going to work like, or, you know, trying to actually help you listen to those people and try to pivot where you can before you go too far down a road. Um, but if you're surrounded with people that are, you know, saying you're doing amazing and, and random people that you haven't even talked to, if you run into them saying like, oh, wow, I've seen your business, you're doing great those little interactions are what kept pushing me forward. I was like, Oh really? You don't think I'm a loser and I'm, and I'm going to fail. That's, 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 that's literally what great. we, that's what yeah. we all think as entrepreneurs, we get started and we're like, great. So I'm unemployed and yeah. right. And that's how we all feel, but that's not how other people see us. No, not at all. And it took a while of just having those small interactions of random people. You don't even think are watching you or, or anything like that of saying like, Oh wow, you're killing it. Or you're doing such a good job. I'm like, Oh, okay. No, I'm good. I'm good. I, I can do this. For sure. Absolutely. And then I feel like there might be a random person here and there, like Susie from third grade, that's looking at you and just thinking like, Oh, what did she do? A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And I still get it. A lot of what I get it for is posting on TikTok. Um, it's a little bit more vulnerable than, than Instagram because Instagram, you can curate it and all that stuff. TikTok is you're, you're supposed to be posting multiple times a day, you know, finding your niche, talking to people who aren't even there, um, especially when you started. So that's something I face a lot. And again, it's just kind of going back to that mindset of who, who cares if Susie from third grade thinks you're a loser? Do you like, do you even like her? When was the last time you talked to her? You know, so when you have those thoughts, correcting them and being realistic about why that shouldn't matter. Um, that's a big one. For sure. And just taking into consideration the opinions of people who are either doing the things that you want to be doing or people that you care about, right? Exactly. And realizing that not everybody's opinion of you should have the same weight. Like literally who cares what Susie thinks? For sure. And there's so many times, like, you know, I look to my parents for inspiration um, and I'm like, you know, should I, should I quit? And they they think I'm like the, their reactions are like, what are you talking about? Like, why would you quit now? You know what I mean? And so having those people that you really do value um, means a lot. And, and, you know, right away, people might not get it, but it is important to kind of have a bit of a ground of people who will tell you the honest truth or tell you, you know, um, I think you're doing great. This is, you know, I think, I think you have something here and they're not, they're not always right. They could be wrong, but just, having people that you trust and you look up to giving you that advice will go a lot further than thinking about what other random people are going to think about you. I always say there's enough discouragement out there. Like we don't need to be right. Like we don't need to be discouraging entrepreneurs from pursuing their dreams. Like what entrepreneurs need is that little piece of encouragement and, and that push to kind of move in that direction. Because I firmly believe that if you are determined enough And if you keep putting in the work, you will figure out how to make it work over time. Right. So I think it's really important to have those people in your corner that are supporting you and saying like, no, keep going. You can totally do this. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say is the most important thing that entrepreneurs need to know when they are getting started? Honestly, that, that financial piece of you need to know that you're not going to make money for a while. Um, you can make, that doesn't have to be like five, 10 years, like, you know, at, like at least six months to a year. Um, that's a big one. And it's that, it's that mindset of how are you going to push through that fact? How are you going to keep going when, you know, not every month you're making the same amount of money. 
So that's the biggest piece I tell people when they want to start something is that's great. Maybe don't quit your job yet unless you are okay with the fact that you're not bringing in the same income right away. Um, and how are you going to work through those, those thoughts as, as they happen? I remember having a conversation with someone I went to school with and they reached out to me because they were thinking of quitting their job and starting their thing. And that was something I said to them right away is your mind is going to flip back and forth so many times and you have to keep on the right track. And like a year or so later, she's like, you were spot on with that advice. Like that's the biggest thing I've had to push through. So, um, yeah, I think that if I could go back and start the business again, I would have a bit more of a plan because I was just kind of rolling with it. But if I can give anyone advice is just having some sort of plan of how you're going to keep yourself sane when the money isn't you know, where you want it to be right away. For sure. Because a lot of people get into business thinking they'll be able to make money very quickly. And if you've ever done like a business plan, the projections that you have to do in that business plan are always like wildly inaccurate because all they're so optimistic as like a character flaw, I think for entrepreneurs is that we all believe like, yes, we can go out and do this thing and it's going to move really quickly and we're going to build it. And so you think like you'll be able to replace your full-time income basically overnight. And that's just not how it works. It takes time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. And then also just being realistic, like just because you aren't making that money, but you know, you're building a bit of a social media presence and your business is doing amazing for a business that just started. So being realistic, being realistic with those milestones is what's huge. You know, um, I remember talking to someone who owns a product-based business I'm like, oh, so how's your business doing? They're like, you know, it's great for something that just started. It's doing everything a new business is supposed to do because it just started. And to me, that meant they're on the right track. It's just going to take a while for them to get where it needs to be. And that's totally normal. For sure. It takes most product businesses three to five years to turn a profit. Like that just is the reality of the situation. Um, And so I think you're really right. Knowing that going in can really help you not feel like you are immediately failing, right? Exactly. Um, okay. Well, this has been amazing stuff. Uh, so if people want to learn more about original genes or about you, where can they find you? Yeah. So the best way is through my Instagram original genes, but with the G underscore T O that's where you can really see all the events and all the things I'm doing that are up to date. Um, and then if you ever have a question, just either DMing me through that or emailing me, um, at Stephanie at original genes.ca. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much again, Stephanie.